The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to your look at the week ahead on the Money Beat Show. Paul and Stephen here in New York City, joined in the studio today by banking editor David Riley. David, how are you? Good. How are you? And uh, we wanted to have you here because we're going to talk about earnings later. Uh, unbelievably, we've actually been talking about this a little bit, Gross. That earnings season is it was going to come up before you know it. Next week is before you know it. Well, true. But I also feel like we've been waiting because we have been talking about it and bringing it up. Yeah. Um, We've been waiting for this for quite a while. So I'm looking for, forward for to For at least three months. Three comes, months, comes yeah. Comes a quarter. Uh, uh, no, when you're doing a, a, you know, a look ahead at the week ahead, earnings yeah. earnings makes it much easier. We just we love earnings so much we can't wait for it. So we've yeah, been yeah. talking about it the last couple weeks, waiting for an earnings report to come in that's, that, that matters. And we'll get a couple of them Friday, and we'll talk about that. But first, we're going to talk about data, the economy. And to help us, we are joined from the nation's capital, Josh Zumbrum, Wall Street Journal economics reporter. Josh, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, thanks for being here. So it's interesting. You look this. You look. You look at this calendar, and you kind of go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Wednesday. Obviously, we know what the big thing is, don't we? Yeah, Wednesday is <laughs> when Janet Yellen yeah. goes before Congress for her twice a year monetary policy report testimony. Um, it's actually a two-day testimony, but she usually makes most of the news on the on the very first day. Um, and so we're going to get a pretty fulsome update from her, I think, about. Fed's views of the economy, Fed's plans for, for their own policies. Um, and then, of course, there's often very, um, there's often very contentious uh, <laughs> exchanges with Congress that can be uh, a lot of fun to watch and can be pretty revealing. So it's going to be uh, what everybody on the economy team is pretty much focused on on Wednesday. It's going to be kind of the focus of the whole week. What specifically are some of the topics? Obviously, inflation, which has dipped uh, back down here is going to be a topic. But the Fed has also been raising sort of some concerns about, you know, financial conditions and how loose they are. Yeah. Inflation is probably still one of the most important. I mean, the fact that we're uh, that we're so far into this cycle of the Fed having run such powerful monetary policy and they still haven't got inflation back to the rate they want it. You know, inflation is still a little soft compared to what they want it to be. And it's been soft for six years or whatever. I mean, it's really surprising to them. It's something that their forecasts have continually gotten wrong for the entire past half decade. Um, and then again in this year, you know, it, it looked like it was starting to get closer to their 2% goal at the start of this year. And then it softened again. Um, and so it's a question for them of what's going on. It's something that they still haven't really answered to anyone's satisfaction. I mean, the funny thing about inflation forecasting is that nobody has done a good job of it. Um, you know, the, a lot of the critics of the Fed said they were going to cause hyperinflation. Right. Uh, and a lot of the people, a lot of people kind of on the left, the, the, the Paul Krugman type of economists have said, oh, there's going to be a, a big deflation if the Fed doesn't, you know, be a lot more active than they are. And nobody got right what's happened with inflation over the past five years, that we're going to have years and years and years of inflation that's just a little bit below the Fed's target. Nobody really seems to have an explanation for it. 
Um, so yeah, so that's really yeah. interesting. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, what's going on with financial conditions? Like the fact that stocks are so high, uh, that interest rates are still fairly low, even though the Fed's been trying to raise them. Uh, the fact that people are kind of maybe getting a little ex- exuberant, uh, irrationally exuberant about the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's a there's some growing concern about that. Some really so, great Wall Street Journal columns about that this week about <laughs> yeah, uh, right. about these concerns. Nice I mean, plug. people are starting to think like, is this is this looking a little too good? Yeah. So, do you think that the, those overly easy financial conditions will lead her to talk about uh, how the Fed might start unwinding its balance sheet? Yeah, that's definitely one of the expectations. I mean, the Fed has this $4.5 trillion portfolio of bonds and mortgages. Um, you know, they're starting to uh, feel really antsy at the Fed that they haven't begun the unwinding process of this, especially because of, of what's going on in the markets. And, Do you think there's a, a – I mean, this could be a little risky, maybe more than people realize, because it wasn't this particular testimony. But back in 2013, I think it was before Congress when Ben Bernanke, the then Fed chairman, was testifying on something, and he brought up the whole idea of tapering the bond purchases, and that sent the bond market into a tizzy. Oh, yeah. I mean, mortgage rates ended up going up like a full percentage point just in one buying season. Yeah, so somebody right. who started looking to buy a house and they thought interest rates were going to be 3.5 percent and they finished the process and uh, the rates were 4.5 percent. And suddenly, you know, you can afford $100,000 less house with the exact same budget. So I mean, you're running really, out and buying a house this weekend? It was really dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, do it real quick before yelling. Uh, right. You'll, you'll never close in time. Don't, don't try. Um, the uh, so so yeah so I mean the consequences of this could be huge I mean there's there has there ever been an investor who had kind of a four point five trillion dollar portfolio that they were planning to unwind in four or five years I mean there's just no parallel to right, this right. in the history of financial markets and so the Fed's hope and prayer is that this is going to be a very smooth process and they're going to be able to do this quietly and do it in the background and not upset anybody and not disrupt the markets and not you know that's their hope and prayer but. There's no parallels. Nobody's ever done anything like this before. Right. Inflation, as we you know discuss, it's weak. And you look at the jobs number that came out on Friday, which was strong, but still wages remain lackluster. Our wage growth remain lackluster. I mean, what's the disconnect um, between? I don't know, inflation- though, Steve. It was two and a half percent wage growth. That's not exactly lackluster. I mean, we've been stuck in that band for. How long? I yeah, mean, but there's a long time when we were below two percent. I mean, what the Fed said for ages was they want above two percent. No, they want. What they, they said was they wanted want three or four percent. Yeah, I mean, well, that'd be their dream, but you know, two and well, a half. Well, that would more. be that would be what realistically should happen in a healthy, in a really healthy, full employment growing economy. Is you get wage growth that high? Yeah, but you look we at the last time it, that happened. That was it. in the bubble. That was. I mean, we can't necessarily consider no, that. Well, well, that was that was a stock bubble, but you also had an economy that was growing year after year. Yeah, very I very mean sharply. the stock bubble. I mean the next bubble. The You're talking bubble. the uh, the housing, but I mean, let's yeah. keep our bubbles straight here. <laughs> I no wage growth never got that high during that that time in the aughts. No. Nope. Josh, I mean, you're the real expert. We're just opining. Uh, you tell us. It never got how high. It never got in the three percent range during the aughts. Uh, I think it did at the tail end of it. I think the it did end? at the tail end of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like maybe just for a year or two in '06. I think it did get up yeah. in that range. Okay. Now, I mean, it's definitely a puzzle because a lot of these labor market indicators are looking really good. I mean, even the things that people used to say. You know, people always used to say, "Well, the unemployment rate's not that bad," but what about you know the part-time 
but what about people who have part-time jobs but they wish they had full-time jobs? And, you know, what about the labor force participation rate, people mm-hmm. who dropped mm-hmm. out and aren't looking anymore? And, like, even those things are starting to look a lot better over the past two years. You know, those are kind of getting to be stale talking points that people don't realize aren't very valid anymore. And <laughs> and yet you're still not seeing it in the inflation numbers. Like, you're seeing a lot of indications that you would look at and you would say, this is a healthy labor market. This is a pretty good labor market. Right. You know, the U.S. economy has rarely had had some of these labor market indicators the, the the number of people getting laid off each each week is as a, is 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 the lowest in 60 or 70 years if you adjust for how many people there are working mm-hmm. um, i mean th- these are things that you would think are a really strong economy and but you're just not seeing it on the price and the wage side it's it's definitely a big puzzle yeah so we've been talking about janet yellen inflation wages when we come back after this message we're going to talk about the rest of the data there's some really good data coming out on friday actually friday is the big day a lot of data a lot of earnings you are listening to money beat from the wall street journal this message is brought to you by nuveen nuveen has provided investment excellence for 125 years A lot has changed, but one thing that remains constant, including the different types of durable income and portfolios, can help investors meet their goals. With expertise across income and alternatives, Nuveen continues to expand its capabilities while maintaining its legacy as a leading investment manager. Visit Nuveen.com to learn more. Investing involves risk. Loss of principle is possible. Enjoy our podcasts? Then listen in your car. Before you start down the road, just sync your smartphone using Bluetooth or plug into the USB port. Got Apple CarPlay? Just tap on the podcast app and search for WSJ. So, the next time you're getting behind the wheel, take us along and enjoy the ride. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back. Paul and Stephen here in the studio in New York City, joined by Wall Street Journal banking editor David Riley. And on the phone, Josh Zumbrum, one of our econo- someone from our economics team. Uh, Josh, Friday's a really interesting day on the calendar, right? It's, it's three huge economic reports. Yeah. The, the retail sales report, the consumer price index, the inflation report, and industrial production. And I mean, you know... These are probably like the jobs report is probably the, is was well, definitely the most important economic report and GDP is number 2 and these are probably 3 4 and 5 so we're getting number 3 number 4 number 5 all in the same morning we'll get them just um Actually, they might all come out right at 8.30. Um, oh, no, I guess they, well, they'll come out within an hour of each other. Right. So we're going to learn a lot about the economy all at once on Friday morning. And all three of these reports have, have been kind of interesting. I mean, we just talked about how inflation had been a little weak. Um, retail sales was surprisingly weak last mm-hmm. month, and yep. it's kind of a mystery of why that would be. Um, and, you know, there's a big question of how much of a manufacturing bounce back are we going to get this year. So all three of these are going to be really uh, interesting reports. It's going to be a big more for data watchers. Yeah, let's uh, talk about the consumer prices first. I mean, is there a number in there that would actually that that you think would would that people would look at it and say, "Ooh, that's going to affect the Fed." Yeah, I mean, it, anything that's uh, that any if the, if the number weakens, um, it, it has already softened a little bit. You know, it's getting close to two percent, and it's uh, gone back to. Um, the Fed's main. There's a lot of different inflation rates. I'm trying to keep them straight here. Um, right, I don't right. have it off the top of my head. But basically, if it's softer than everybody's expecting, people are going to say, "What's going on with these inflation numbers?" Like the Fed 
has got to lay off. People, people are going to say the Fed should stop with the rate increases if they if inflation mm-hmm. keeps getting softer. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to say maybe the Fed's overdone it or, or whatever. Um, but but then on the other side, if the numbers kind of snapped back up, that would give the Fed a lot of confidence in its current strategy. The Fed had has had assumed in its forecast that inflation was going to be stronger than it than it actually is right now, and so they would feel a lot more comfortable if inflation moved toward their forecast. What about uh, retail sales, which have, you know, it's it's once again, we've seen consumer sentiment high, and but we haven't seen that showing up, um, in, you know, in how people are spending their money. Um, what's the thought about this month's retail sales? Yeah, well, it makes you uh, it makes you wonder about these surveys of consumer sentiment because. We've never seen a surge in consumer sentiment like we saw over the last six months. And then, like you look at what people are actually spending at uh, in in retail sales, retail stores. What consumer spending has been? It's been flat. Last month, consumer last month retail spending was down uh, a third of a percentage point, which is pretty substantial. Um, and you know the whole reason that economists and and people in markets have always followed these measures of consumer confidence is they thought that if consumers were really happy, they'd go out and buy stuff. Um, I mean, that's kind of been the the idea is that if you feel really good about the economy, you're going to feel more comfortable buying a house, buying a car. Um, and so it's 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 bizarre that it's broken down, that you've had this huge surge in confidence and you've had these really crummy retail sales numbers. And at first people said, well, maybe there's a lag. Maybe people need to feel comfortable for a while. And then that'll start to translate. And it's just not happening. So uh, I think people are expecting, I mean, retail sales were down last month and people are expecting it to bounce back a little bit, but nobody knows how much, nobody knows really why this weakening occurred. And uh, it's an interesting puzzle, that's for sure. Yeah. And then uh, the other, Friday is, is such a heavy day. You almost, I wouldn't say take off all week, folks, and come back on Friday, but you almost could. Well, you have but to show Friday, up for Yellen's uh, You have to show up for Yellen's testimony. Right, right. Uh, but in addition to all this data we're getting on Friday, we get some, we get the first big important earnings reports. Yeah, it is Bankapalooza Day. Bankapalooza Day. It's really the banks now lead off, you know, earnings season. Really, yeah. In some ways, they're really the thing I think that are driving, you know, first ones out of the gate. So we've got Friday morning, J.P. Morgan Chase, biggest bank in the country by assets. We've got Wells Fargo, and we've got Citigroup. So three of the four biggest banks all coming out on Friday. And And PNC Financial. And PNC. Sorry, that's the number. uh, That's the number eight. Bank, if you include uh, Goldman and Morgan yeah. in the the rankings, Paul That's my always like the little guy. Yeah. Oh, it's your I bank. I like the little guy. Yeah, uh, but I think it's it's going to be really interesting going to something we were just talking about the retail sales because we're seeing something similar happen on the banking side. So you've heard, you know, bankers, business owners have all been really upbeat. There's a lot of optimism mm-hmm. out there. But what we've seen over the past couple of months is that loan growth has been really slowing. The pace of loan growth has just been dropping, and that's for all loans and banks, and really importantly for business lending. That has really come down to, I think it's the lowest level of growth we've seen in about five years now. And that's a negative for the banks, because that's really where they were getting the revenue growth, Hmm. the business lending side the past couple of years. So exactly where that plays out. Now, it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that, oh, all banks do badly because you can have the big banks now are going in doing a lot more lending to mid-sized companies, so they might be taking share. 
But it's going to be interesting to see who's – there's going to be winners and losers in that sort of environment. So it's not going to be you know necessarily all negative, but there's going to be someone out there who's losing from that. Right, right, because one bank ostensibly could take business from another bank and their numbers look really good. The others look really bad. But the overall picture right. is it, – it's, it's challenging. Bank, yeah, yeah. And um, at this – the, the counter to that is you have the banks right now coming off of um, the stress test results, which were hugely positive for the banks. They were able to say they're giving back billions of dollars more in uh, buybacks and dividends. So that has investors feeling good again about the banks after they sort of cooled for a lot of the second quarter. So that's on the positive side. So investors are going to want to see you know some further confirmation that the good times are rolling again. Mm-hmm. But flipping back to the, the potentially negative side, trading hasn't been that great. So the more, more Wall Street-focused banks um, are going to struggle a little bit with that. And they've already – the executives have been out there saying expect you know, maybe 10 to 15 percent trading revenue declines year over year. And so after Friday, the following week, we get uh, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, yeah. obviously trading, big deal for them. And we also get Bank of America, which also has a big trading arm. How when we started the year, obviously the banks, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, especially, sort of propelled the stock market higher. Then you know people soured on <laughs> the sort of the ability of the Trump administration to get a lot of their growth policies across, uh, you know, the finish line. Where does it stand now in terms of investors' outlook and you know uh, the bank business? Well, that really comes down to the question of what are interest rates going to do? Like you said, at the beginning of the year, people are thinking we're going to have this big burst of growth. There's reflation is going to happen. That means interest rates are going to move higher and the yield curve is going to get steeper. Steeper yield curve and higher rates are great for bank profits, mostly the former, the steeper yield curve. And as the year has gone on, you know, we saw the 10-year earlier this year, about, I think it was the end of March, went up to 2.6%. Mm-hmm. Then it fell back, you know, two or three weeks ago, it was down to 2.2%. It's climbed back a little bit, but it's still not. People thought the 10-year was going to 3% yeah. by this right. summer, and right. that hasn't happened. That was fueling a lot of the enthusiasm for banks. So what we've seen is on the long end of the curve, that's come down. We've got flattening of the curve. The Fed has, you know, we've got two interest rate increases. That's ostensibly good. It's things moving in the right direction. But the flattening isn't. And the other big question that's going to be hanging over the banks this earnings season is so far they've been able to hold the line on how much they pay depositors, which is next to nothing. Any any of us who has, you know, right, a checking right. account or savings account, you know, knows you're you getting know you get nothing. You, yeah. You're getting nothing. At some point, the banks are going to have to move. They're going to have to start paying. They've been able to not do that so far, but the the question is, you know, where's the tipping point, and how fast are they going to have to ratchet up the cost because that eats into the benefit of the rising rate environment. So for the moment, they're going to capture some of it, but there's some unease around that. For Wells, obviously, there are a couple of things with Wells that we always look at. Is one is you know the real estate market and what you know what they what their results say about it, but also you know the scandal that hit them last year. Are we going to get any more insight in where that stands, or you know how they've moved beyond it? I guess is a better I, yeah. Stat. I think it's more a question of you know how much is that receding into yeah. the mirror, and, and the way that comes out in terms of the quarterly numbers is how much are their costs remaining elevated from it. And that's everything from legal settlements, but just to, you know, additional compliance people, all the things they're having to do to clean this up. So their costs have been elevated. So that's weighed on results and investor sentiment. In terms of the housing market, I mean, they are the the biggest mortgage lender out there. 
Um, and, and what we've seen as rates have gone up is, you know, what we were talking before, the 10-year going up 2.6%. And that's what mortgage rates really key off the 10-year. Even though you're getting a 30-year mortgage, it's off the 10-year because most people only stay in the house for about 10 years. Um, so that's really taken the steam out of the refinance market. So we'll probably see that a little bit weaker again for them. Um, you know, so th- they'll be a good barometer of what's going on in the mortgage market. Take us home, Stephen Grosser. I thought you were. I know, but uh, you, you, know, you were leading the bank. I mean, thing, I so like you to, you know, take us across the finish line. Uh, thank you very much, Josh. Thank you very much, Dave, for joining us. And we'll be back next week. Oh, it was so well done. So thank well. you. Follow the Wall Street Journal on your favorite podcast app. Search WSJ on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and any Amazon Alexa device. The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.